May they live forever. This day is for them. Those who, in the moment where others would turn and run, they charged forward. The sons and daughters of our great nation, this we will protect, they cried. Until Valhalla, brother. A phrase uttered by the warriors they left behind. A phrase spoken only to those who sacrificed it all. These fearless men and women are the reason we are privileged to live, speak, worship, and die free. Their lives were given so that others may live, so that others may have liberty. Today, we celebrate the lives of the hundreds of thousands of military members who paid the ultimate price for us. This day is for them. The following stories are but a small handful of incredible examples of heroism. Moments where a man or woman laid down their life for someone else, knowing they were likely going to meet their death. May their names never be forgotten, and may they live forever. Sergeant Jonathan K. Penny, United States Army, Company Delta, 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment, Fort Benning, Georgia. Sergeant Penny was born on July 1, 1987, in Marietta, Georgia. Penny was known to be an athletic and avid outdoorsman who enjoyed rock climbing. He was known for having a strong determination behind everything that he did. After graduating from high school, Penny enlisted in the U.S. Army from his hometown in Marietta, Georgia in November of 2005. Sergeant Penny completed basic combat training at Fort Benning and combat medic training at Fort Sam Houston, Texas. He returned to Fort Benning in June of 2006 and completed the basic airborne course and the Ranger indoctrination program before attending the Special Operations Combat Medic Course in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Penny was assigned to Company Delta, 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment in November of 2007. Sergeant Penny was also recognized as the top graduate of his Ranger indoctrination class. In 2010, Penny was part of a helicopter assault team that had secured a compound in the Kandahar province of Afghanistan on the night of May 31st. Shortly after dawn the next day, the Rangers found themselves under heavy attack from three different directions. The intense fire critically wounded a Ranger team leader on the rooftop of the compound. With the rest of his unit pinned down by enemy fire, the medic, Sergeant Penny, ran to treat the wounded soldier. Witness accounts say that he ran into the open through very heavy and effective small and medium weapons fire to access a ladder to climb to the roof and render aid to his fallen ranger. While climbing the ladder, Sergeant Penny was shot and mortally wounded. He made it to the top of the roof where he ultimately collapsed in an attempt to save his brother in arms. He was posthumously awarded the Bronze Star Medal, Purple Heart, and the Meritorious Service Medal. Penny at the age of 22, sacrificed himself so that others may live. Captain Jennifer Marino, United States Army, Registered Nurse. Marino, who was on her first deployment in 2013, commissioned into the Army as a nurse. She went on to complete the Army Airborne Course in 2009 and served in a medical surgical unit at Madigan before she volunteered to serve with a Special Operations Cultural Support Team and deployed in June. Such teams are typically comprised of female soldiers who can engage Afghan women. In her last moments of life, Captain Marino heard two orders. 
One was a call to help a wounded ranger struck by a blast in an IED-riddled killing field at an Afghan bomb-making compound in the Zari district. The other command was to stay put, lest she strike another mine in the bomb belt. According to surviving friends and family members from San Diego, California, moments like this are why Captain Marino chose her assignment. She wanted to work alongside rangers, and she wanted to work with special operations. The nurse from Madigan Army Medical Center chose to help the wounded ranger. The event was described as running into hell by those who survived. In total, 11 IEDs exploded, killing a total of four United States warriors. The first to die in the event was an Afghan woman walking out of the compound wearing a suicide vest. She detonated the explosive, killing herself, wounding six troops and setting off a second blast nearby. Two soldiers rushing to help troops wounded in the first blast hit a third bomb. A second enemy fighter died in those early blasts as well. An Afghan insurgent who ran away from the building detonated the fourth explosive, another suicide vest. The bomb killed him and a military working dog named Janie. Marino heard a call from a staff sergeant to help a wounded ranger. At the same time, the battlegrounds commander told all of the soldiers to stay where they were. Her Bronze Star commendation uses dry, formal military language to describe the decision she faced. Disregarding her own well-being, it reads, Marino unhesitatingly moved to assist upon realizing the severity of the wound sustained by her fellow teammates. While in transit, Marino detonated device number five and was killed in action. Marino's commanding officer stated, None of us would have done what you did running into hell to save your wounded brothers, knowing full well you probably wouldn't make it back. Captain Marino died on October 6, 2013, at the age of 25, so that others may live. Senior Airman Jason D. Cunningham, United States Air Force, Pararescue. Written by staff writer Sean D. Naylor of Military Times. Cunningham was a bright-eyed and energetic airman from New Mexico who always had a smile on his face. Married with two children, he had only been a pararescue jumper for eight months, but his infectious enthusiasm had already made him popular with his fellow PJs. Even among the highly trained professionals of the special operations world, Cunningham's dedication to his job stood out. One of Cunningham's pararescue colleagues stated, he had more motivation than any one man should have. He was all about saving people's lives. The two years of grueling schooling it takes to earn the pararescueman's badge requires an airman to become skilled at dealing with mental and physical stressors few others could endure. The washout rate can be as high as 90%. Cunningham personified that endurance. The pararescuemen are housed on the ground floor of the Bagram Airfield Tower Building. Fifteen yards down the corridor are the expert field surgeons of the 274th Forward Surgical Team. It wasn't long before Cunningham's hunger to improve his medical skills had propelled him down the corridor. Soon, he was spending a couple of hours every day with the medical staff, learning by doing under their tutelage. According to Dr. Brian Burlingame, the surgical unit's commander, Every time we had a casualty event, he was always the first one there offering to help. His enthusiasm was just genuine to the core, which was what endeared him to us. He was like a little brother. One of the outcomes of Cunningham's time with the surgical team docs was a decision to start sending the pararescuemen out into combat with blood for transfusions. 
the use of blood in the field was a controversial topic at the time, according to Burlingame. Burlingame states, Blood is an FDA-controlled substance. It's very, very regulated. Special training, and not to mention tons of paperwork, is required before medics are considered qualified to administer blood in the field. After Cunningham and Burlingame started talking, all of the pararescuemen at the base took the classes and filled out the paperwork. They then pushed forward with whole blood transfusions for Cunningham's group. March 4th, 2002. Operation Anaconda, now known as the Battle of Roberts Ridge. It was approximately 3 a.m., March 4th, when an MH-47E Chinook named Razor 3 approached the Takargar Mountain. Riding in the back of the Chinook were a handful of Navy SEALs moving to a position where they could observe a series of cave complexes where Al-Qaeda fighters were concentrated. No place offered a more commanding view of the Anaconda battlefield than the top of Takargar. But as the pilot from the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment brought the Chinook in to land, the helicopter was met with a barrage of enemy machine gun and rocket-propelled fire that severed vital hydraulic lines. The pilot jerked the helicopter up and away without inserting the SEAL team. It was then that the crew realized that in the chaos, one of the SEALs, Petty Officer First Class Neil Roberts, had fallen out of the helicopter. Leaders at Bagram ordered the Quick Reaction Force to launch. On board Razor 1, another Chinook, were about 15 Rangers, as well as an Air Force Enlisted Tactical Air Controller, or ETAC, a pair of Air Force Combat Search and Rescue Pararescue Jumpers, and another Air Force Special Operations Combat Controller. Also sitting on the Chinook as it flew into the heart of enemy territory was Senior Airman Jason Cunningham, a 26-year-old pararescue jumper on his first combat mission. By the time Razor 1 approached, the sun was rising. The rescue force had lost the advantages of surprise and darkness. The enemy was waiting. Heavy machine gun, Kalishnikov, and grenade fire erupted from the snowy mountainside as the helicopter came in to land. At least one rocket-propelled grenade hit the aircraft and the tail rotor. With the helicopter still 80 feet off the ground, bullets shattered the cockpit glass. A round smashed one pilot's femur. Another knocked his helmet off. To his right, a bullet and fragment ripped a silver dollar-sized hole in the other pilot's wrist, while yet another tore into his thigh. Seriously damaged, and with its pilots barely able to control it, the Chinook hit the ground hard, just below the peak of the ridge. Miraculously, nobody was seriously hurt during the crash landing. The helicopter and the troops inside were now taking heavy fire from a series of well-protected Al-Qaeda positions 100 to 200 meters up the slope. As rounds peppered the aircraft, the Rangers ran off the back ramp into a hail of fire. Two or three dropped immediately dead or badly wounded. The pilot with the broken leg popped his door open and flopped out into the snow. The quick reaction forces medical personnel, including Cunningham, another PJ who was a technical sergeant, two ranger medics, and a 160th medic, had their hands full. The Chinook's cargo area became the casualty collection point. It was in there that Cunningham went to work, putting into practice all the medical theory that he had absorbed, and doing so in the most difficult circumstances imaginable. He was trying to save lives in the back of a helicopter at the top of a bitterly cold mountain under constant fire from enemy forces that had him and his colleagues surrounded. Just when things seemed as if they couldn't get worse, the forward compartment of the helicopter caught fire. 
About four hours after the helicopter hit the ground, Cunningham had decided the cargo compartment had become too dangerous for his patients. Using a small sled-like device, Cunningham dragged the wounded troops to a safer spot away from the aircraft. In doing so, he crossed the line of enemy fire seven times. Enemy fighters in one bunker were raining accurate and effective fire on the U.S. troops. As the mortar fire intensified, the quick reaction force commander decided to assault the bunker. The rangers gave it their best shot, but the assault stalled deep in the snow. The enemy's movements forced Cunningham and the 160th medic to move casualties to a second and then a third location outside of the helicopter, exposing them to enemy fire several times. During the last movement, the 160th medic was shot twice in the abdomen. Shortly thereafter, at 12.32 p.m., Cunningham was struck as well. An enemy round hit him just below his body armor as he was treating a patient. The bullet entered low from the right side and traveled across his pelvis, causing serious internal injuries. Cunningham must have known that he was in serious trouble, but despite his worsening condition, he continued to treat patients and advise others on how to care for the critically wounded. He initiated an infusion of whole blood, giving one of the two blood packs that he brought to a badly wounded ranger, saving the ranger's life. The medics gave the other packet to Cunningham himself, whose life was slowly flowing out in a red stream into the white snow. As the hours in the snow lengthened, Cunningham grew increasingly weak from loss of blood. Seven hours after he was hit, the other medics began to perform CPR on Cunningham. They continued for 30 minutes until it was clear nothing more could be done. At about 8 p.m. on March 4, 2002, Jason Cunningham became the first pararescue jumper to die in combat since the Vietnam War. Senior Airman Cunningham is credited with saving 10 lives during the Battle of Roberts Ridge. At 26 years old, he gave his life so that others may live. As we continue to live our lives, it is incredibly important to celebrate the heroes who gave their lives before us. For the surviving families of the aforementioned heroes during this presentation, and all of the other heroes who gave their lives to the cause of our liberty and freedom, every day is Memorial Day. To their families, friends, loved ones, brothers and sisters in arms, this day is not about sales, cookouts, or trips to the lake. It is about the faces they can no longer see, and the voices they can no longer hear. It is about the gold star mother and father who remember their child's first steps, but now have to also imagine the moment their precious child was killed in action. In the words of one gold star mother, it was once my greatest nightmare to lose my son to war. It is now my greatest nightmare that he will be forgotten. May we live in a way that honors their courage and sacrifice, and may they live forever. <laughs>